0: tonight, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, Jeremiah 35. If you're with us this evening and you don't have a Bible, uh, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them. Now put one in your hand. It'll be marked to our passage for your convenience, and, and um, uh, otherwise you'll be fairly lost, uh, at least comparatively speaking. Uh, much better off to be able to read what we're saying uh, from the Bible, as we studied as well, and if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord uh, to you uh, this evening. In uh, the end of uh, uh, here, as we looked at chapter 34 a couple of weeks ago, we remember that it was at the very uh, end of uh, the Babylonians' kind of conquest of the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, they're just months away of of being conquered by the Babylonians. All of the people are gathered into the city of Jerusalem. It's one of the last cities to be taken by the Babylonians. And as they're in there, in that circumstance, they realize, you remember, that they uh, kind of needed all hands on deck. They realized that they had been violating God's law related to the release of Jewish uh, slaves at the end of uh, 6 years released in the 7th year and so they repented of their sin and released their slaves and then as soon as the Babylonians were pulled away from their siege of Jerusalem because of uh, a an attack on their flank by uh, the Egyptians they immediately t- the, the Jews did took their all their slaves back they repented of their repentance and uh, and and total disregard for God's Word. They'd finally repented after all of these years, and then here they do this. As, as soon as they're not under the thumb or under the screw, I mean, they, they just turned right back. And, and so, God puts in, remember, with Jeremiah, the issue with Jeremiah and the concern of the book of Jeremiah is not chronology the way that it is in the book of Isaiah. But it is a subject matter it is lessons it's teachings and so when we come to chapter uh, 35 uh, here now this event in chapter 35 is something that occurred uh, 18 years earlier than chapter 34 but it's brought into this place because it serves as a contrast to what god's people had done just previously in chapter 30 uh, 34. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, here is God's command to Jeremiah at that time, go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord. That is, bring them to the temple, these Rechabites, and, uh, and into one of the chambers. And the temple had chambers that were built around it. They were areas where uh, things were stored and also meeting places and so forth. And so, the Rechabites were to be brought to the temple, ushered into one of the chambers that surrounded the temple. And then God said, give them wine to drink. And so, Jeremiah obeyed the command. Then I took uh, uh, Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habaz-Eniah, his brothers and all his sons, the whole house of the Rechabites. And Jeremiah said, I brought them into the house of the Lord. Further, just as God commanded, I brought them into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, uh, the son uh, of Igdaliah. Doesn't he play for the warriors? I don't know. got to be something different. But the son of Idalia, the a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Maasaiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And then I set before, as they were all arranged as God had commanded him to do, then he set, I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine. And cups. And I said to them, He commands them, as God had uh, told him to do, uh, He said, Drink wine. But then they said to Jeremiah, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, uh, the son of Rahab, our father, the patriarch of this particular group of people, he commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, uh, sow seed. You're not to be farmers, plant a vineyard, uh, nor uh, have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, be herders and, and nomads, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. And they said to Jeremiah, Thus we have obeyed the voice of our patriarch, of Jonadab, the son of Rehab, our father, in, in it's significant in all that he charged us to drink no wine. Again, the word all, all of our days. We, our wives, our sons, our daughters. And in other words, the men are saying, we not only keep the command of the patriarch, but everyone in our family, in our tribe, in our home, uh, adheres to this law as well, nor to build themselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have a vineyard, field, or or seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all uh, that Jonadab our father commanded. And that word commanded is uh, significant. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. And so, that's why you find us here in Jerusalem, our tents evidently pitched within uh, the walls of Jerusalem. And then the word uh, of the Lord came uh, to Jeremiah and the Lord applies this uh, this uh, living kind of parable that's been played out here applies it uh, to uh, the children of of Judah and the Lord said thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem Will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord, and the idea is they obey. Here is an entire tribe that wouldn't think of disobeying the commandment from a human being, a patriarch, and then, here you are as a nation of people whose God is uh, the, the living God, and you readily disobey my words. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rehab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. They obey the commandment of their family. Not to drink wine, and, and that command is performed. For to this day they drink none, and they obey their father's commandment. But and here is significant that word, but but although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, that is through the prophets, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants and prophets rising up early and sending them, saying, "'Turn now, everyone, from his evil ways. Amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them.'" And Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear, uh, nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. And therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. And I have called to them, but they have not uh, answered. And so, here the Lord uh, applies this parable to the southern kingdom uh, of, uh, of Judah. And here is Jonadab, uh, the, the patriarch of the Rechabites, and uh, he uh, he, uh, he gives this command. They obey uh, the command uh, God says to the children of Judah, and yet yet you casually they they're uh, determined to obey this commandment, and uh, and yet you casually defend uh, uh, disobey rather my my commandments. Jonadab is is he's bringing out here. He says, I send my prophets, I send my servants to speak to you over and over and over again. But he said, uh, uh, Jonadab just said, one time, don't drink wine for the rest of, uh, of your days and, and of the generation. He said at one time and for 250 years, everyone from his bloodline has obeyed it. I send people, he says to you, day and night, uh, day after day and day after day, over and over again, and nobody will uh, take a single command of mine, uh, seriously, no success at all. And what is happening here, and as God lays this out through the Rechabites, is that the Rechabites, and this is what God intended it to do exactly, it revealed basically that the children of Judah were responsible uh, for their uh, disobedience to God's commandments. And, and here is a, a group of people who are not really even among uh, the Jews, so to speak, in a technical sense, and, and they obey the commandment of a man, of a patriarch, and, and, uh, and, and, and they have the power to obey, to abstain from uh, that alcohol. And what God is saying to the children of Judah is that over here, here we're talking about, in, in some sense, an unsaved group of people. They're outside of the covenant in terms of, of its fullness, and yet, uh, look at the quality of life that they live. Look at the high de- degree of, of importance they give to obedience and, and so forth, and, and that they keep a commandment of, of men. And the idea is if they can do that related to a command of, of man, then you can obey the, uh, a command from God. In other words, the Rechabites made the children of Judah responsible for their disobedience and, and because others could keep commandments. Others could uh, do something from lesser sources and spoken just once and yet, uh, and, and yet... Uh, here, uh, they, they just readily disobeyed, and it wasn't because they didn't have the power to, to do it. What they lacked was the will and, and the desire uh, to do it. So, it's interesting when, when God sends Jeremiah to the Rechabites, the entire scene is it's Jeremiah himself pulls them into the area of the temple, brings them into an inner chamber, commands them to drink uh, wine and so forth. Everything that he, everything that God has Jeremiah do is to put the Rechabites in a situation where they would feel extreme pressure on them to disobey the commandment uh, of, of uh, Jonadab. So again, they're brought into an intimidating environment. They're brought into the area of the temple. It was an incredible privilege for them to be brought into that area. It was that, that kind of a spiritual environment. They were led into a secret place to be tempted to drink wine uh, there. And, uh, and who would know if they did? Nobody would know if they could just rationalize it, justify it, and say, well, Jeremiah, if you keep quiet about it, we'll keep quiet about it, and so forth. I mean, here's this idea. They can start to work it around in their minds and say, well, maybe we can kind of meet halfway on all of this. And, and yet uh, they, uh, you know, push back related to it. You have Jeremiah extending hospitality to the Rechabites, Hospitality is very important, was certainly in the Middle East thousands of years ago remain so today. So, for you to come into somebody else's place, for them to offer you something to eat or drink, it was a great offense to say uh, no to that. So, you can just feel yourself. We've all been in these environments where we're feeling like we're getting uh, hemmed in. We're getting tremendous pressure upon ourselves now uh, to compromise God's commandments uh, in order to navigate this situation that we're in. It's not something that we're not, uh, you, you, you know, familiar with in our, in our lives. And, the, and then, of course, the one that is offering this drink to them and indeed commanding them to drink of it is none other than Jeremiah. I mean, the esteem that they would have had uh, for Jeremiah, his significance, his stature, and so forth. And so, here is the pressure of having to say no to somebody like Jeremiah, related to what he's commanding them to do. I mean, you can almost feel the, uh, uh, the pressure, and yet for all of that pressure, they refused to uh, compromise. And what God was teaching Jeremiah and teaching uh, his people uh, was a lesson through the Rechabites, and that what the Rechabites did essentially was to remove all excuses for disobedience among God's uh, people. And so here the lives of the Rechabites and this particular incident, it's a very powerful chapter actually, in in the Bible. It showed that a person could do what was right if they truly wanted to. And what the children of Judah, again, what they lacked in terms of a, a, an obedience to God's Word was not an ability uh, to do it, not the power to do it, uh, but they lacked a proper respect for God. Here is a group of people who have a greater respect for a great, 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 great grandfather and a commandment that he gave some 250 years uh, earlier in, in their history, a greater respect for that man, separated by that kind of a distance of time, than the, God's people had uh, toward, uh, toward the Lord. It is interesting, and I think one of the things that this passage is intended to, to teach us is sometimes you can look around at people in the world, and they're not Christians uh, just yet, and you look at them, and many times they're far more moral than many Christians uh, are and they possess a, a greater concern uh, for the reputation uh, of their family or the name of of their family and they they have they would never do this or never do that because i would never bring shame upon my father i would never bring shame upon my mother or our family name and these are the things that keep them in a place of 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 living a moral life and and, and so forth and under a inferior motivation they live a life that is more moral and more godly by a biblical standard uh, than many christians do uh, for uh, the, out of a lack of concern for the name of Christ, the name of Christianity, and the reputation of God. And it should never, ever uh, be so. We should never, ever, ever run into anyone who does not know the Lord and yet lives a more godly life than I do or a more obedient life to some false religion or some false philosophy or some fear of man And it produces a higher quality of godliness and morality and obedience in their life than it does in my life and my relationship to God and and to His Word. And yet the temptation is there to uh, have that kind of thing happen. And this entire incident related uh, to the Rechabites you know, makes us, uh, makes us realize that, you know, that it should never be the case. And it's a powerful lesson, not just for the time of Jeremiah, but I think for us as well. The Lord went on then in light of the, the Rechabites' strong stand in the face of this uh, temptation to compromise, so to speak. And Jeremiah then said on behalf of the Lord to uh, the house of the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, uh, your father, and kept all of his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me uh, forever. And so the Lord said, in light of of the demonstration of what it is that's happened here, uh, then I'm going to keep uh, an eye, and I'm going to bless your tribe and your family, and some descendants from among them uh, would be involved in in, uh, uh, the worship uh, of the Lord and then uh, as we come into chapter uh, 36 this chapter is great because sometimes you can read the book of jeremiah and wonder why in the world do we have a record of it uh, why do we even have this uh, this book in the bible in our hands why how was it ever recorded uh, for us to be able to read it in the way that we're doing that tonight and this chapter helps uh, explain that among other things now it came to pass that uh, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, take a scroll of a book. And remember when they would uh, have the book of Jeremiah or any writings, they were in the form of a scroll. They were rolled up. They weren't like what we have in in the form uh, of a book. And so he says, I want you to take a scroll of a book and then write in it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day that I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah even to this day. Jeremiah, I want you to sit down and write out every single prophecy that I have given to you from the time you started your prophetic ministry right up to this moment. Now, if you've got a memory like me, uh, God would have to, you know, anoint him to do that once again. But the Lord gives him the command uh, to uh, do exactly that. Must have been, you know… Well, quite a scroll here. We have how many chapters make up the book uh, of of Jeremiah fifty two, and and so, uh, and the Lord gave the 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 project to him, but then gave him the uh, the reason behind the project, the hope that God had behind uh, the writing of all of these prophecies. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all of the adversities which I have pr- uh, that I purpose to bring upon them, and then that here's the reason that everyone may turn from their Evil way. And then that further, uh, if they will, I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So God's intention behind the recording of all of the, uh, the prophecies of Jeremiah is in order that they could be read, as we'll see in a moment, in a particular environment, in all of their force. And remember, Jeremiah, he he prophesies over a period of 40 years. So, it's a prophecy here, prophecy there, prophecy there. They're all strong. They're all significant and unforgettable. But you put all of them together. I kind of liken. Uh, like and you know it 's almost like uh, radiation for cancer, you know you uh, you 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 go in and 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 uh, you know one of the things for instance let 's say we 've got something going on in our life that we 've got a struggle where uh, some sin is trying to retake control of our life or or some kind of an attitude within our heart or unbelief or whatever it might be and so we go to the word of God and we d- and we discover and-, and look up all of the verses that speak to that particular issue and then we study those we read those we we obey those we understand this to be God's word related to what it is that we're we're dealing with and and so you take when you take all of those specific verses that deal with that specific issue, it's kind of like a… I think of it as like a radiation treatment where now you take the full force of all of those verses and you put it right on that unhealthy thing that is trying to get established within our life and, and, uh, and, and to destroy it. And so, here now, uh, they've heard the prophecies one at a time over 40 years. Now they're going to hear all of them all at the same time. I mean, there will be just a tremendous… Uh, a, a, a strength and power in the, the, the sheer concentration of the message, even in its repetition of the strength of it. And all that was there behind it was the idea of, of God's heart is that somewhere along the line, they will take me seriously, and they'll repent of their sin, and I can uh, forgive them. God is very, very patient with the uh, southern kingdom of Judah. He's been warning them for 40 years, and uh, here they are still determined to be judged by God. And then Jeremiah called Baruch uh, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book all uh, at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words uh, of, uh, of the Lord which he had spoken to him. Now, we're introduced to Baruch at this point in the, uh, in the account. Baruch was a, a, a friend uh, of some kind. To, to Jeremiah. He was like a personal secretary or an aide. So, the, uh, Jeremiah would have these prophecies, he would speak them, and then Baruch would record them. He would, he would inscribe them. Again, he wasn't just a scribe or a secretary, but he was also a companion. He was a friend, a support to Jeremiah, and at tremendous expense to himself. He was a, a man evidently of, of kind of uh, we would say high breeding or high position within judah and and him making a decision to stand by Jeremiah in a very very obviously uh, uh, hot kind of ministry that he has controversial for the people, not for God but for the people i mean he threw he threw his future away as far as any Jew would look at him in aligning with Jeremiah. But this was something that God had called him uh, to do. And and we'll see that God later on, God is going to take… He takes note of, of it, and he, He's going to reward him. And so, uh, here Baruch… Baruch is not an editor. Uh, Baruch is a scribe. Jeremiah speaks it to him, and then he writes it down just as it was spoken uh, to him. And Jeremiah then commanded Baruch, saying… I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord." At this point in Jeremiah's ministry, he's not yet imprisoned. He will be imprisoned at least two times uh, coming up in the future. But at this point, he is free to move around Jerusalem, but he has been forbidden to go near the grounds of the temple. And so, Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, "'I am confined. I cannot go to the house of the Lord.'" You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people, and do it in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And so, he's to go to the temple, and he is to preach this, uh, all of those prophecies to them one after the other. He talks about uh, the day of fasting. We'll see it a little bit more in just a few verses. But what's happening here is that they know they're in real trouble. And, and they're, they're afraid of the Babylonians. They're afraid. They know their, the danger of them being conquered without a miracle of God. So evidently, even in their disobedience, their unwillingness to obey God or to repent of their sin, uh, the religious cycle is still going on. Everything's still happening at the temple. Re- religion is in full, uh, full bloom uh, there. But and, and so they figure, okay, what do we need to do? And because of the troubles that we're facing here, let's call a fast in the hopes that, you know, God will give us a miracle here. I mean, they're doing everything but the one thing that can change their future, and that is to repent uh, of their sins. And so this is what's going on. And they've, they're coming in now from all over the, the land of Judah, come to the temple. We're coming, we're going to fast, and we're going to ask God to deliver us of the Babylonians. So you've got an enormous crowd of people that are there, and you've got them from all over the land. It's a huge audience, and, and that is by uh, design. And, and you shall also read to, uh, re- read, also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. Again, they're coming from all over Judah. And it may be, here again is the hope that God has, it may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord. And everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against his people. So, they're all coming together to have a fast in order to try and find out from God if there's like a quick, easy way to get out from under the judgment that's coming their way. God says, I'm going to take their meeting, and I'm going to turn it into a meeting of my own. And that is, I want you to read every one of these prophecies, warning them to turn, or the judgment that I've declared is going to come… Upon them. And so God sends, uh, speaks to Jeremiah, sends Brooke in order to uh, take over. The, you wanted to meet with God, you wanted a message from God, uh, you wanted something from the throne of God. Uh, here's what it is. But it's not an easy pass. Uh, 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 to, to get out from under uh, where, where your sin, your rebellion has put you. Here, if you want to hear my voice, is what I have to say to you. And then Baruch would read the, all of the prophecies uh, to them. And Baruch, uh, here's his, his obedience, verse 8, Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah in the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all of the people in Jerusalem and to all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. And then Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of uh, Gemariah. I, uh, the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house in the hearing of all of the people. He, he declares all of this where in a very, very uh, uh, open place where he can speak to everyone that has assembled. And when uh, Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shapham. He heard all of the words of uh, the Lord from the book. And uh, Micaiah, he's a... a, one of his grandfather i think it was his grandfather or his father was one of the counselors cabinet members for godly king Josiah so he's been raised around the word of god he's been raised around godly people Josiah was a very godly king and he has evidently a respect for the word of god he takes it seriously in a way that very few at that time were doing that and so he heard all of the words as they were spoke from the book by baruch and then as, as a result, he went down to the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and, and he went, and there all of the princes were sitting. Uh, Eliashima, uh, the scribe, uh, Deleiah, the son of Shemeiah, uh, Elnathan, the son of Achbor, Gamariah, the son of Shapham, Zedekiah, uh, the son of uh, Hananiah and all of the princes. They're gathered in some room associated with uh, the palace, somewhere they've got free coffee and, and uh, whatever for the princes. And then uh, Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when rebuke, uh, Baruch read the word in the hearing of the people. He says, you can, this is what I just heard. Baruch, on behalf of Jeremiah, has come. He has spoken these words. This is what's just happened in the city that you are a part of ruling over. And therefore, all of the princes uh, set, uh, sent uh, Jehudi, the son of uh, Nethaniah, the son of uh, Shalem. I, there's so many Ayahs here, I've just about tongue twisted the son of Cushi, and they sent him to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people, and come. Grab your scrolls and come with me. And so Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand, and he came to the princes. And they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. Uh, Just the fact that they invited him to sit down. They offered hospitality uh, to him indicates that uh, they had a certain softness toward uh, Baruch and towards Jeremiah. Jeremiah, not everyone hated him within the government. Not everybody rejected what he uh, was saying, and so he had he had friends in these high places, though they were uh, an extreme minority. So they're very respectful, and it's worth noting. Uh, The king won't be, but it's worth noting concerning uh, these princes. And so, uh, they invited him then, now read what it is that you read in the area of the temple. And so, Baruch read it in their hearing. Now, we've been going through Jeremiah for a while, haven't we? Uh, And so, they sit and they listen to all of these prophecies. And they give it an audience, and they'll give it like five minutes and go, yeah, I think there's a lot of repetition here. We're done with it. Is that kind of the gist of what's happening here? So, it it gives you an idea of their hearts as they're willing to listen to everything that is being spoken by, uh, by Baruch. And so, it happened when they had heard the words that they looked in fear. That was a proper response that they should have had to the warnings of, of God uh, toward, uh, in, uh, toward the nation. And so, they said to Baruch, we will surely tell the king all of these words. We're going to deliver these prophecies to the king. And they asked Baruch, saying, tell us now, why did you write all these words at his… In, uh, how did you write all of these words uh, at his instruction? And so, they wanted to make sure, clear, uh, this is not something you've come up with. This is a… A, a transcribing of the prophecies of Jeremiah, correct? And, and so, he could uh, assure them. And so, Baruch answered them. He proclaimed them with his mouth, all of these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. And so, the princess said to Baruch, go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. They have a fear of the Word of God, They have a fear and a a concern for what it is that uh, they have just read here, but they're not as confident that the king Will have the same response. And so, it's very wise on their part. Again, it's the little things that just show where a person is. And so, they, they know that the king could just explode. We don't know what his reaction is going to be. Probably not going to be very good. So, go someplace and do not tell us where you are going, but go hide somewhere, you and Jeremiah, uh, because this could get uh, messy. and. And sure enough, uh, it it, it did. And so, they went to the king, and they went into the court, uh, but they stored the scroll. They went in to see the king, but they kept the scroll in a different place in the chamber uh, of Elishama, the scribe. And instead, verbally, they told all of the words uh, in the hearing of the king. They recounted what it is that Baruch had done. And so, the king sent uh, uh, Jehudi uh, to bring the scroll he wanted to listen to it, and uh, he took it from Elishama, the, the, uh, uh, the, from Elishama the scribe's chamber. So it's brought uh, in before the king, and Jehudai read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all of the princes who stood beside the king. So Baruch is no longer reading it now. Now this man. Uh, this aid to the king and the princes, he begins to read all of these prophecies uh, to the king and also the princes who are, who are uh, standing there. Now, the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. So, you can kind of picture it. In, in those days in Jerusalem, when a king or anybody of any wealth would build a house, you would have a summer house and a winter house, but they would be the same house. The second story would be the winter house, or the summer house, because you go up on the upper level, and you can open up all of the windows. You get better ventilation and a breeze and all in the heat of, of, uh, of Israel, which is like California, which is like right outside those doors uh, in, in this building. So, it can get very, very hot, and you would want all of that. And then what would happen is when winter would come… They would go down into the lower level where the fireplace would be and so forth, and easier to keep uh, warmth, uh, the insulation of the upper level upon it. So, they're in the lower level. A fire is going. It's the ninth month. It's the middle uh, of, of winter. And it happened when as uh, Jehudi would uh, read three or four uh, columns from the prophecies that, uh, of the scroll as he's unrolling it and reading it. He'd read a, a short amount and in the amount of three or four columns at a time that the king would then, very dramatically, uh, then cut off what he had just read with a scribe's knife. And so, kind of like a pen knife, it was used the scribes would use it. They would sharpen their uh, wooden instrument or their instrument for writing with these pens. And so, it it was a sharp knife, kind of like an exacto knife or something like that, Uh, like a razor blade almost. And so, he would then uh, cut what had been read with the scribe's knife, knife, and then he would take what he had cut, and he cast it into the fire that was on on the hearth. So, what, he, what he's doing here is very, very interesting, and as he's listening to this prophecy, he's not saying anything about these prophecies, but his reaction is completely physical. Uh, one reaction that a king in his place might have, uh, because he's responsible for the lack of repentance among the people, he had the, he had the authority as the king to say, no more of this, we're turning back to God and away with these idols and so forth. And so, this is something that is damning toward him. It's very convicting toward him. A, 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 maybe a normal reaction, a lesser reaction would be that he would listen to uh, three or four, uh, you know, uh, sections, uh, uh, you know, the, of, of a particular prophecy and then say, I've had enough with that. Take the whole scroll and, f- and fling the whole thing into the fire. But he doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't do… and he doesn't do that for a reason. Because uh, here, uh, this king, as this is occurring, his anger toward the Word of God, toward Jeremiah, toward God, toward these prophecies, it is just this deep seething anger that has to be uh, uh, at the Word of God, a rebellion against it, that he is going to express by cutting the Word of God a section at a time and feeding the fire with it. And, and this is the, the loathing that he has for Jeremiah and for God and for the Word of God. And so, this whole process went on, you notice, until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. The entire prophecies were read before him, and this entire uh, kind of series of Of progressive events of cutting and throwing into the fire and cutting and throwing into the fire after it had been read until finally there was no scroll yet uh, left and yet they were verse 24 they were not afraid not the king and not his closest confidants or his advisors the princes are concerned but the the advisors to the king it's a bad thing when when a leader has uh, especially a leader among God's people has no fear of God and then he surrounds himself with people who have no fear of God as well and and that's what uh, the king has done here and and and, and so there is no uh, no concern at all you, you know for it they're not afraid nor did they tear their garments this is the reaction they should have had at the hearing of these prophecies and the judgment to come the king nor any of his servants who heard all of these words nevertheless Elnathan, Deleiah, and uh, Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And so, here you have uh, these princes uh, that uh, they hear uh, again the same prophecy, and they say, don't burn it. Don't do this. Don't take this action that you're taking. And what anyone could have done, anybody in their right mind that was alive at that time, all they had to do is just look at Jeremiah's prophecies and then look at them in the light of the law of Moses, and specifically the latter chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, where God said, if you do these things and you obey me, I will bless you in this way. But if you disobey me in these things, then I will judge you. There will be a curse upon you. And anyone could have listened to Jeremiah's prophecy and seen that none of this ought to have been taken personally uh, in the sense that God had declared it from the very beginning. The nation was just receiving what, what it was due. Uh, in, in terms of the law of Moses, and so to realize we're not up against Jeremiah, we're not up, up against Baruch, we are up against God and what God has said about us as a nation uh, many hundreds of years earlier uh, through the law of Moses, and so they see are, and are willing to see uh, the connection between the prophecies and the law of Moses, and that the whole land is on the wrong side of of, uh, of God's uh, word. Word, on the judgment side of that word, and, and so they make a case that the scroll should not have been burned. And the king commanded Jeremiah, uh, commanded rather uh, Jeremiel, uh, the, the king's son, Saraiah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight, in the middle of the night, I'm gonna wake up and pace. Uh, to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. And so, here was exactly the reaction that the princes were concerned uh, would be the case and that the king won't take this well, and he will want to arrest Jeremiah and arrest Baruch and, and probably put them to death. And so, their counsel for them to hide themselves was a good thing to do. And then God adds His providence. Not only did they hide, but God added His supernatural protection to, uh, to their hiding place so that they, they, wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't be uh, discovered at, at all. I, it's an interesting, and I think it's a very timely kind of event as you see this. And again, it's a famous, if you're new to the Word of God, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, this is one of the many, many famous scenes within, uh, within the book, and it's a powerful one, and it, and, it, and it drives home a message that is important, not only for God's people thousands of years ago, but uh, for us even today, is as the king takes and, uh, and as he cuts the Word of God and throws it into the fire and so forth and, and all, and, and his attitude toward the Word of God, how he handles the Word of God, and, uh, and, and so forth. This kind of thing is, at least in my mind, uh, absolutely rampant uh, today. Uh, you watch the, the way that the unsaved world handles the Word of God. Uh, there is no actual hearth. There is no fireplace. There is no scroll that they cut and so forth. But look at how effective, certainly within my lifetime and just recent decades, how they have cut the Word of God out of uh, the national life of this nation, out of the schools, and then progressively out of the courts, and progressively everywhere that they can to take the Word of God, uh, to have no regard for it at all, and and to uh, cut it out and, and cast it away uh, from uh, people's consciousness, as if somehow uh, that solves their problem. I think also in terms of a heretical uh, Christianity uh, that uh, that is uh, well in place and well represented uh, even today. The failure to accept uh, the Word of God, the Bible, uh, and all of it is, is God's revelation, is God's truth. Uh, when I was a brand new Christian, there was a, f- a thing that was called the Jesus Seminar that was kind of maybe at the height of its uh, popularity and, uh, and its influence, and I think they met over in Santa Rosa, California. But it was a it was a group of uh, 150 kind of critical biblical scholars and laymen, and they kind of uh, got themselves founded in 1985 by a, a guy by the name of Robert Funk. And uh, the seminar very active in, in the 80s, in the 90s, and then less or so as, as time went on. But what they uh, what they did is they would uh, take and read the Bible, and then each one of the one hundred and fifty members would then vote on whether they considered uh, they'd go verse by verse through the New Testament and the Gospels, and then w- they would vote on what uh, verses they considered to be god 's word or not, and so it was done by a vote i, I think i mean I read it years ago, so it, it escapes my my mind a little bit but I think about the only thing that survived was maybe some small sections of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there was no New Testament. They might have, or Gospels. They might as well have cut it up with a penknife and thrown it uh, into the fire. And so, this kind of thing, this attitude uh, toward uh, the Word of God, I think that increasingly in mainstream, even professing Christianity. Uh, Today, I think the same thing, maybe to a lesser degree, but it should uh, be—it's equally alarming to me, at least—and I think it should be uh, to everyone. Uh, This failure, or a deliberate, uh, a a a deliberate decision on the part of someone like me, uh, who is a pastor or a leader in a church, to deliberately look at the word of God and then to determine what it is that I'm going to teach and what it is that I'm not going to teach on the basis of what I like or I don't like, or what I think you will like or you won't like, or what will keep the nickels and noses coming into the church and so forth. And there's enormous pressure of this sort in American Christianity uh, today. And so you this failure to uh, declare the whole counsel of God, this self-censoring in in the sense that I'm only going to teach what I think will appeal to the listeners and to their uh, itching ears and so forth. This is so rampant today. You may think I'm overstating it or I'm just going on on a pastor's rant. But this kind of thing is so rampant within American Christianity that these kind of people that get up and only say things that people will like to hear and then refuse to say from God's Word what might be uncomfortable for people, these people are represented so significantly in terms of number that there's now a name for them, and they're called happyologists. They only will say what will make people happy, and, and uh, they're everywhere you want to look. I mean, certainly on, on the television, uh, if, it, it doesn't take much to search them out. To identify a false prophet or a false teacher today, it isn't enough to notice only what they say. It's important to notice what do they cut out, and what do they deliberately cut out like this king does. What do they deliberately omit from the Word of God because they esteem it to be too convicting or, uh, you know, too difficult uh, for people or, uh, you know, for, uh, and, and it'll make people unhappy or, or it'll hurt people, you know, in terms of, uh, of the medicine and so what they leave out. I think it's important for all of us to understand that I could stand before you Week in and week out in this pulpit, and teach the Word of God, insomuch that every single thing that I said to you would be completely true, but it would be only half of the truth. And I I could deceive people by quoting certain verses, but deliberately cutting out other verses. And this is called failing to rightly divide uh, the word of truth. And then as a result of what I emphasize and what I don't emphasize, what I speak and what I cut out and omit, I can give people a completely inaccurate view of the Bible, what it teaches, while at the same time, everything in a technical sense that's come out of my mouth, was absolutely true. And that's a, that, is, that is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It's possible to be a liar without ever telling a lie. And a religious liar is one that leaves out information that would cause people to come to a different conclusion about uh, this, their situation or Bible teaching if they only had the whole truth. But I think this is so important and uh, for uh, everyone to understand and I want you to understand it because it's not going to get any better apart from a revival. It isn't enough to test what religious teachers and religious people are saying, but also to notice what they are not saying, what they are omitting, what they are leaving out and cutting out from the Word of God. This is also something that isn't something where we can look and just point fingers at other people and and so forth. This kind of thing happens all of the time on an individual level. We can do it absolutely to ourselves where we end up fashioning a Christian life from the Bible that we are comfortable with. We only read certain sections of the Bible. We only read certain kinds of devotionals or or, uh, study uh, resources. We give great weight to the commandments of God that are easy for us to keep or uh, the commandments that please us. And then we just simply ignore everything in the Bible uh, that we don't like. And so, it's to do the same thing. It is to turn the Bible into a Ronco Bible. We just cut out and cut and paste the whole thing into the Bible that we want it to be in terms of what we actually practice. I know many people, and especially as we get a little bit older in the Lord, and we think, well, I know the Bible. I've read the Bible many times. I've studied through the Bible multiple times. And so, now here in in this season of my life, I'm just going to go back to those things that make me happy or those things that that I like and feel good about, and I'm going to omit all of the rest of it, not realizing that we need the pull of both extremes in the Word of God to keep us in a safe place. And again, this temptation to, uh, uh, to define and turn Christianity into, ex- into what I want it to be and not what God wants it to be. Again, it's easy to look at religious leaders, see what they're doing, recognizing it for what it is, and, and uh, being abhorred by it sometimes, or not abhorred by it, but to realize the same tendency that's in them is also in us. I love how the writer of the book of Hebrews declares concerning the Word of God, famous verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He likens the Word of God to a sword. It is intended to cut us. It is intended to prune us. It is intended to lance what is unhealthy and infectious within our life. We do not cut the Word of God. We do not edit it. Uh, we do not ignore sections of it. And, and we allow it to cut us as it's intended to do. And none of this ultimately matters at all with King uh, Jehoiakim. Uh, he takes, cuts up the Word of God, throws it in the fire as if that means something is if that has any bearing upon uh, the Word of God uh, at all. I mean, everything that, that God declared uh, to, from Jeremiah uh, to King Jehoiakim, everything that God declared in His Word, it came to pass. The burning of the prophecies had absolutely no effect upon the prophecies themselves. And it's the same thing with the Word of God today. Jesus said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my Word will never pass away. It will never, ever pass away. What a person does with the Word of God never changes the truth of God's Word, never changes it, not for a half second does it change it. And it never reflects badly upon the Bible or the Word of God. What I do with the Word of God If I ever cut it, if I ever burn it, if I ever reject it, if I ever uh, censor it, even if in the privacy of my own heart, I sit here tonight as a Christian and I say, I agree with these things, but you know, I don't like uh, uh, hell. I don't like uh, commandments in terms of sexual purity within the Bible. And there's so many Christians today that are in that place. They'll make a stand for the Bible and what the Bible has to say in a conversation or whatever it might be uh, concerning issues. That are easy to defend, but the things that are difficult, the things that actually push up against a person, they, in the privacy of their own heart, say, I don't necessarily agree with that even myself. And so here you have this this thing related to uh, the Bible. What I do with the Bible, what I think of the Bible, never reflects poorly upon the Bible, not for an instant, not to a single verse but it always reflects poorly upon me, upon my fear of God, upon my uh, respect for the Word of God, and and my own uh, spirituality or lack of spirituality. It's always a revelation of the darkness of our own heart. And so, here is this uh, great event that occurs here, and uh, the fact of the matter is, is that in the world today, if some great ruler should arise and burns every single Bible in the world in a great furnace, it will not change one prophecy in the Word of God. It will not change one commandment in the Word of God. Every single one of those commandments and prophecies is going to come to pass, and the king is going to find that out The hard way. He didn't solve his problem at all. We never solve our problems by editing or cutting away or ignoring or cutting out sections of the word of God. And after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Take yet another scroll. This didn't set God back at all. Oh, no, he burned a scroll. Oh, yikes. Oh, somebody get me an aspirin. He said, get another scroll. And write on it all the former words that were written in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will surely come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? And therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David. And his dead body shall be cast out into the heat of day and the frost of the night. And so, God says, you don't like prophecies? You don't believe in prophecies? I'll tell your future in advance. Uh, you are going to—nobody is going to be a, a king of any significant nature following you. You will die, and in and, and the utmost uh, sign of disrespect toward a king You will not even have anyone to bury your body. It will lie open to be eaten by the animals. And I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them, uh, uh, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah, all of the doom that I have pronounced against them, but they did not heed. The burning, the manipulation, the ostracizing, the cornering, uh, the removal of the Word of God from the public sector and from the schools and from people's mind and from entertainment and television. It, it's, it's an absolute disaster because it has done nothing but remove it from our consciousness. The clock is still ticking in terms of the prophecies that God has given for the end of the age related uh, to uh, the world. All it does is it, 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 is it causes me, a person, to then live in ignorance in terms of of what it is that's happening around us in in the darkness that that is the result of of rejecting the light of God's word, and then Jeremiah he took another scroll and he gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote it on, uh, on it at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, uh, there, were, uh, there were added to them uh, many similar words. Words And so, the the prophecies were rewritten, and here we sit. If you have a a Bible on your lap, and you have the book of Jeremiah, uh, this tells you why it is there. Uh, The second scroll that was written, and then then the recording of, of the prophecies of Jeremiah all the way to the end. Well, we'll stop there tonight, and we'll pick it up next time in chapter 37. Let's stand together, and we'll pray together. Very important lessons this evening.